And that's one of the things about religion that we have to remember when we're talking about that makes it such a, a hot topic issue. It's because we're talking about law. Who gets to be God? Who gets to be God's deputies? Who is the most high? Who is the divine authority? It's all about the claim to the most high. The only way that somebody can be higher than us is if we give away our power. Because there's nobody, we're all equal. But we're not equal in our knowledge, so ultimately, I think it does have to be a hierarchy, but it has to be a cooperative hierarchy, like a bee colony. We have to, it's about what our value system is, what we care about. Hello, Hive Mind. Today is July 23rd, 2020. I am your host, Nate Cap, joined by co host Brandon Martin. Welcome to the 11th Cubby Hole Podcast, where important topics are unveiled, discussed, and tested. Our website is cubbyhole.com. That's C U B B Y W H O L E.com. On this show, we will be diving deeper into natural law, solipsism, social Darwinism, the law of the jungle, aspects of the left and right brain, non aggression and self defense principles, and along with mind control and the polarized schisms humanity finds themselves in. So, glad to have you back on, Brandon. Uh, it's going to be great doing the next few shows with you, and uh, I'm pretty excited to get this information established for you know what's to come in, in the future content. So, got to lay the important foundations first. So, what As, do you think, Brandon? Oh, man, I'm super excited to be talking about natural law. It's one of the main things that I feel not enough people are speaking about. Uh, I recently asked one of my friends if he has been talking about natural law to anybody, and I know that he understands it, and he was like, nope, and I was just absolutely disappointed that more people are not speaking about this. So I feel it's a great place for the cubbyhole to start off on, like you said, to lay the foundational work, the prerequisites, uh, to get people to the level of consciousness that they need to be at to create change in their selves and in their environment through their behaviors. Absolutely. And that is exactly what we intend to help people do here on Cubbyhole. And it is a very arduous task to put out this type of information, but it's also very exciting. And I think that it's wonderful to have somebody here with me to help demonstrate these principles and these, uh, these types of important topics, because it is the the very thing that is like you said it's just not understood by the masses and and once it is this earth is going to be you know back to the way it was in a in a new look and uh, i i believe that that is very possible you know to have a, a mostly uh, moral understood population that truly wants freedom and it's just going to take a, a while to get to that point because uh, we're, we're definitely working through the wall of ignorance and, you know, people are very, you know, they definitely have a tight grip uh, around that part of their, their mind that doesn't want, that, that resists the truth. So, and, you know, and since we're on that, the, the resistance part, um, that is a part of lying to the self. So I want to start out by getting into dishonesty and, you know, what is a dishonest person? It is, you know, someone who lies. And I think we all see this type of behavior all the time. And I'm sure we're all guilty of it, of being dishonest, you know, at one point or another. And when it comes to controversial topics, it seems Dishonest people are more likely to cause disputes and have trouble getting them settled logically. And, you know, especially when facts are brought to light and, and thoroughly demonstrated with empirical data and reasoning, it's as if they, they just can't 
find an honest moment in themselves to actually look at what's brought to the table. You know, it seems they, you know, would just be totally fine being dishonest and making their opinion worth knowledge or, or their opinion be more important than the actual facts that they're faced with. The point is, you know, when this type of information you're hearing on this show is being unraveled in front of the people's eyes, the dishonest people, especially the people who claim to love science, uh, so more of the, you know, left brain types, they seem to be the most dishonest of their own attention to and what they don't know. It's really quite amazing. And, and, and an example is, I've posted information on social sites about moral law with logical data that fully demonstrates and proves its actual effects in nature, especially the actions of harm or violence, the wrongdoings, you know, murder, rape, assault, theft, coercion, trespassing, and willfully lying. And I still get people and, and people who I see as seemingly smart totally into science also i see them respond with comments on social media like oh well you know that's just religious jargon or that's just a a theory you know it's it's not based in actual science or it would be known and agreed upon by most scientists and uh you know speaking of scientists i posted a meme of the term scientism with its definition and certain people came out from under the bridge to make so many silly dishonest claims you know they completely couldn't even stay on topic you know it was just a you know a definition that's it just they 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 attacked me thinking i'm you know somehow attacking science and uh you know, basically, they uh, read the meme and chose to believe the definition as what they wanted it to mean rather than what it actually means. And I just want to be perfectly clear. Science and scientists, you know, you know so like the actual um, methodology. So the methodology is completely different than the people themselves. You know, they're two completely different things. Science and scientists are two completely different things. And scientism is all about the belief in modern mainstream scientists. So basically believing and having trust in scientific institutions to such an extent that the individual extending such trust believes that these institutions are the only source of verifiable truth. So nowhere in the meme does it say anything bad towards science, actual science. But people insist that the meme is just that, you know, just completely dishonest on their part. And I'd say, you know, coming from a place of hatred towards anybody who brings up any kind of controversial topics with any kind of truth. So, what do you think, Brandon? <laughs> well, I think you hit the nail right on the the head there with everything that you just said. It was very astute of you. Uh, I'm going to start off with approaching the topic of lying and dishonesty. We always hear this thing uh, in religion called the seven deadly sins, right? Which is lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. And, I mean... If those things are not actually victimizing anybody or if they're not causing any kind of harm onto anybody, then they're not out of alignment with natural law. So I don't even look at those as the actual deadly sins. They're, they're not deadly sins. Yeah, maybe they can be self-inhibiting or self-destructive at a certain level. Um, and I would say that, yes, it's not wise to be greedy. It's not wise to be in lust, you know. But if you're not violating anybody else, then that's your own free will choice and that's your own right to do so um, to a certain degree. Now, if 
if that self-harm is starting to cause harm to the whole, then yes, obviously, then it's not your right anymore. You don't have that right if your greed is starting to cause harm onto other people, right? So if you're actually infringing upon somebody else's rights by stealing from them because you're so greedy, then yeah, but you can be greedy for other other purposes also. So I right. think what you said earlier, which are the true seven deadly sins, you know, the true transgressions against natural law, which is murder, assault, rape, theft, trespass, coercion, and lying. Those are the ones that we actually need to be talking about. You know, those are the things that people tend to talk about here and there but they really don't break it down in a simplistic fashion that we have a uh, a scientific understanding of that through using our logical deductive reasoning you know so when it comes to like lying right so this is what you started out with we're talking about lying well when you're lying to somebody you're taking that ability for that individual to engage in their own discernment and decision-making process, which that does not belong to you, the individual who is has initiated the lie. So, for example, let's say a person lies to you about something that you, you would normally not engage with if you knew the truth, right? So this happens right. with, let's say, relationships or, or like females, right? Let's say a female that's underage, that looks of age, that looks, you know, like an adult, acts mostly like an adult to a certain degree. You know, at least the cover, the persona of her seems to be uh, adultish, right? She lies about her age to a male and that and they end up engaging in sexual activity. Right. But normally that male would not take that action if they knew the age of that individual. They were basing right. their decision making process off of, you know, the signals, the, the other, the body language and, and the way the person is talking and the look of the maturity of the individual. But when he asked, you know, hey, how old are you? You know, are you of age? Let's say it's like a 20 year old dude and you know, a 17-year-old girl, he might say, well, since you're 17, I'm not going to actually engage with you any further because you're just, you know, you're underage and I could be held responsible for that. So, you know, that, that person who's lying, the female, she's taking that individual's ability to discern and make a proper decision based off the truth of the situation and based off the truth of the reality of how old she actually is. And because of that, it's actually manipulating him into more likely doing something that she wants. So it's a form of manipulation. Lying is always manipulative, you know, and right. whenever we're talking about that, we have to understand that it's a violation of natural law and it's a violation of one's own free will to have the ability to be able to make proper decisions based on the information given because if we have corrupted information given to us if we have you know altered or corrupted like i said or manipulated information that's given to us that's provided to us then we are going to have a poor decision making process because we don't have all the data and that's something that we really do need to have we we need to have more uh, truthful information out there decentralized. We have to have an egalitarian approach to all of this information, especially when it comes to the occult and comes to the mystery traditions and definitely when it comes to natural law principles and the things that are actually destroying freedom. So, exactly. you know, when it gets into scientism and, and we're talking about this, scientism is a religion. It's the belief that that's the only way, that's the only approach to be able to understand the nature of the self and the nature of the realm in which we operate, the self operates in, the universe, the reality. Um, and, right. and I don't quite agree with that. I think it's one way that we can understand, to come to understand things here, but I don't think it's the only way because usually the way colloquially with science we're looking at a left brain approach to things where we we rely upon our senses right our five mm -hmm. sense data accumulation devices you know our biological technology that is there to help us make sense of our world right but i mean all you got to go to is some of these allegorical movies and understand that your senses can be 
uh, illusionary. You know, they can be deceived if you're in certain a certain environment, like within the matrix, right? So we have to understand that there's also another way of coming to understand the truth, and that's intuitive. There's an intuitive science too, and I think of it as a science, but most people wouldn't. But it's more of a right brain, a scientific approach where you know you can intuit the nature of something mm -hmm. by direct gnosis or by direct uh, channeling of uh, what I would call the Akashic records or like the universal field, the universal database. Uh, the other thing, the other types of languages that we're capable of interpreting through our reasoning and through our own uh, other biological technologies that we have also. So I think that that science itself is great. We have to use the scientific methodology to get to th the answers that we need, but we have to make sure that the scientific methodology encompasses all the, a all the tools, all the attributes and properties that we have at our disposal to come to understand the truth. We don't say, hey, you know, uh, this is the only way to get to the truth when there's other things that we can use to also get to the truth. And we, we don't put those off to the side and say, no, we're never going to use those. Those are taboo. Those are all pseudoscience, you know, uh, and we don't obfuscate any of that, any of those tools either, because a lot of people obfuscate those tools. But when it comes to scientism, that's the perversion of the scientific method. You know, it, it is the idea, it's the belief in authority. It's the belief that we can only get our answers from the people in the white coats, right? And that they're the ones who give us all the truth. And that's the only way we can get that. And if they don't say it, if they don't actually come out in the public or on the mainstream news or in their papers, um, then how can any of that be true? Which is an abdication of one's own personal responsibility to find the truth themselves. Now, what I mean by that is, you know, it is each individual's responsibility to go out and do their own homework to actually find the truth. You know, does that mean you have to become a quantum physicist to understand some of the quantum, you know, levels and stuff? Well, no, but you actually have to go through the deductive process of studying a vast variety of sources yourself to actually, you know, come to that understanding. It doesn't mean exactly. you have to become that thing. Uh, I don't have to become a doctor to take an interest in me doctoring myself and me becoming right. my own uh, my own helper, you know, my own healer of my own body and my mind, my temple, my emotions, you know. I, I take that under my own wing. Uh, so we are trying to become independent when it comes to that. And in the day, day of information, you know, which is what we have now, we have a mass amount of information all around us. It becomes more of a responsibility. And everybody wants to abdicate that personal responsibility on the something else, whether it be computer algorithms or AI systems or a false authority figure that comes in and tells you, you know, what the truth is when it's actually not that. Or, and sometimes it can be. It doesn't mean you can't get truth from some of the scientists. But when you blindly believe that that's the only place that you can get truth, then it becomes a religion. You know, you're looking at a religious mindset with people where they're going to the scientific priest class, you know, to get their answers solely rather than taking that up for themselves and their own responsibility to discern falsehood from the illusions from the truth, you know, falsehood from the truth. Very well said. And yes, scientism is a religion. And speaking of religion, I know we already explained solipsism a little bit before, but I want to revisit and break it down even more because it really is ultimately the destructive religion that needs to be understood deeply. Solipsism is purely a delusional mental illness. And just, just as, as a reminder... It is the belief that one's own mind is controlling and creating everything in the whole universe and no one else exists. Their mind is the center of the universe and everything revolves around them. Everything is just a, you know, um, their own imagination going wild. And I accept and understand that we are all 
you know, connected and we are all part of the one, the, the, the whole of all that is. And believing or knowing we are all one has nothing to do with the belief that there isn't other individuals having their own experiences. We all exist here in the physical domain together. And, you know, that's self-evident. The whole, you know, point about solipsistic belief is that the entire physical domain is purely an illusion and everything that takes place in it doesn't matter or doesn't have any type of, you know, significance. The idea is that it all should be observed and do nothing to change anything. And that is a very dangerous worldview. It's about believing nothing can be known and objective truth is non-existing because one's own mind is all that there is and everything is just made up, including morality. I've met many people like this and they, they believe that what they experience can only be experienced by them. You know, therefore, they believe everything else is just their imagination creating the seeming experiences of others. So if I would have flicked them in the ear, I'd be left out of that experience, right? <laughs> so I've had people look at me right in the face and tell me that they believe I'm a, a projection or a figment of their imagination for the sake of a fun or weird random experience, you know, like, like they're just a, you know, just a video game and they're, you know, just, it's all, no, no one else is real, just them. But by that logic, why would a solipsist ever read a book? Why would a solipsist ever care who rules over them? Or why would they care who their parents are? Or why would they allow such painful experiences, you know? Solipsism is, like I said, a religion. It's a new age type of religion. It's, uh, you know, it's not logically sound. And it basically is about giving up the, you know, on the journey to, to know the true self. You know, like, it's just, uh, it's about giving up on personal responsibility. And it's about believing that, you know, since no one can know anything, I'm never going to work to try and know why things are the way they are and live comfortable in my ignorance and laziness. Right. And that um, is Can the I truth. say something to that real yeah, quick? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, since they claim that they can know nothing, then how can they know that they are a solipsist? Or how can they know that they are the only ones experiencing that reality. Right. Their, their premise of, I can know nothing, um, there, is a, there is more context to that also. It's, it's uh, I can know nothing. If I can know something, I cannot share what I know with anybody else. But let's just start with the first one, which is, I can know nothing, right? And, but how do you know that you know nothing is simply what I'm talking about. How do you know that you're a solipsist? How do you know that you're having an experience? It's fundamentally contradictory and self-defeating when you look at the root of the, not only the assumption, but also the reality of the way that one is living uh, through their ideologies. Are they living in a uh, concordance with their ideological idea of solipsism? Well, they can't be. It's an impossibility. It is physically an impossibility. It is mentally, emotionally, spiritually, soulfully, uh, you know, it is a complete impossibility to be a solipsist based on what we do know um, and what we, how we experience things, you know, by, by the word itself, experience. The word itself uh, relays some form of knowledge of something that is taking place. So there is no way that you could be a solipsist that knows nothing, mm -hmm. you know? So it's just, it's it boggles my mind, you know, because like what you said, there's so many people that actually believe this. And when I first learned about this, uh, what I would call a psychopathology, 
when I first learned about this, I was like, no, there can't be that many people that believe in this. You know, I was just like, I was naive about it. I was like, no way. There's no way that there's so many people believing in this. When I first heard, you know, this, this disease, uh, of this disease. And I started to talk to people about it. And I was astounded at how many people actually believe in this nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not only that, but they also, whenever you bring up this type of information to them, they'll be like, well, but, but I really don't know. Who really knows? You know, they'll just keep on going in circles and saying like, but no one really knows. No one really knows. Like even what you're saying right now could just be like a figment of my imagination. I'm just like, okay, well, you know, then what, what, what's the point of logic? You know, what's the point of having any logical conversation here? It's a, it's very, very fascinating and, and, and sad in a, in a major way that people actually believe that and actually think that way. But, you know, it's just, it's, it goes right back to the beginning of the show. Dishonesty. It's about being dishonest with yourself. And that's really the conclusion. I completely agree. I mean, it literally is one of the biggest false religions and it is so widespread. It is, um, it's crazy how far this really goes, you know? And I look at it as a defining hallmark of spiritual infancy, you know? Uh, departing from this disease ideology is a surefire sign of the beginnings of, like, spiritual maturity. Like, when you start to actually develop your own self-awareness to the degree that you're harmonizing with the truth, you're, you know, that that's a symptom of you actually coming out of this this disease and you healing this disease in your mind. Um, so those who are, you know, truly awake and fully understand that there is such a thing as objective reality and that it does exist and that truth can be known and it can be shared with others. Those are people who are actually healing themselves from the psychopathology. Right. There's so we've we've talked about the religion of scientism we've talked about the religion of solipsism and now i'd like to get into the religion of darwinism many people believe when they hear natural law they think law of the jungle or they think natural order which is basically the most ruthless gets to rule or you know it's about survival the most socially ruthless what is it about this belief that stagnates one's mind or what is it about the belief that does does any kind of good for someone or a society well i don't think there's anything that is good about this belief system that helps to benefit or truly ascend our uh, our species in any way darwin himself came out later in his works in his works and said you know to not take his works or pretty much just to take his works with a grain of salt, you know, mm -hmm. that he didn't even fully uh, believe that everything he said was empirical and there would have to be a very long-term study to prove his theory because it's Darwin's theory. It's not an actual scientifically sound and proven uh, reality. And that's why it's called Darwinism because it has become a form of uh, of a religion and it gets into the you know the whole idea about certain bloodlines being genetically superior to others and things along this nature that uh, our D our DNA our our genes are the governing principle of all of our characteristics has been completely disproven by Things like epigenetics, which shows that consciousness is the writer of the genes. Yeah, uh, genes do play a big factor into how we physically develop, but they're simply just the blueprints for our, our makeup, our forms, you know. And uh, to change the gene, we have to change the signal, the source code, or the source of the code, I should say. The, the source that is writing the code is more accurately said uh, to actually change the result of the projection of the code into reality. So the idea that you know, 
of the survival of the fittest, right? It puts us into the R complex of the brain, which puts us into survival mode, fight and flight. It makes us more ruthless, more violent, uh, less compassionate, you know, less empathetic. And this is what we have today. We literally have uh, Darwin's theories being applied to society. So, you know, where Darwin's ideas were dealing with uh, the animal kingdom, uh, he really didn't apply it to humanity too much or to society specifically. Uh, people that came after him decided to apply his theories and kind of take those ideas and apply them to the way human dynamics are experienced and play out, you know, in, in our reality and in our culture and in our condition. So, the evolution of this idea became largely largely accepted as a belief system, and it's definitely just a belief system um, during like the second industrial revolution. And you know we see this everywhere today. We see it in crony capitalism. We see it in patriarchy. We see it in any type of system that enshrines people that are the most ruthless as the highest pinnacle of our evolution. You know, so that's pretty much you you nailed it, you know, also there by saying that it's about the survival of the most ruthless, because that's what it equates to. It equates the people that are the most ruthless to others, the people who can uh, selfishly get one up on other people by destroying their freedoms, by destroying their their livelihood, by you know, encroaching upon their liberties uh, are the people who are fit to rule over humanity, which is the most immoral and most disgusting thing that we could ever think of. I mean, think about that compared to like a baby. A person could totally just dominate and destroy a baby and just, you know, do whatever they want. Those are the people who are allowed to do that. They rule the baby because they're the most fit or they're the most uh, psychopathic is really when it comes to, you know. Um, so technically, based off of the ideas of social Darwinism, you know, the idea of pedophiles is just fine. It's completely acceptable in the dynamic of social Darwinism because those are the most ruthless and and they're the ones who are going to survive, supposedly, right? But it is kind of self-defeating because the most, the most ruthless do not always survive. You know, we know this. There's uh, there, there's all kinds of different dynamics, you know, my, my AR 15 will definitely prove that very differently if you know mm -hmm. what I mean. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it, you don't have to be the most ruthless to actually survive, but that's what that is equated to. And what that leads into is things like eugenics, you know, and eugenics is definitely another deplorable, uh, you know, uh, ideology that has been running amok in our in our culture for a long time and it's caused so much great harm so much uh, immense harm uh, across the board and so you get social darwinism which leads into eugenics which leads into things like it, it gives it bolsters to the idea of royalty is what i'm trying to get at with the bloodline thing mm -hmm. because if you're if you're born of a certain bloodline, then you're fit to rule over humanity. So it's the idea of the the uh, the concept of the divine right to rule over people, right? Um, that they have been gifted with a certain bloodline that that gives them the quote unquote right to rule over humanity. And these are some of the ideologies that these sick people want to propagate out into the world. They want you to accept this as normal, that it's okay to think that other people, because of their blood, are superior to you, and that they have a right to infringe upon you uh, within society. They have a right to steal from you because they own you, is what they're claiming. They, they're claiming that they own you, that you're not a sovereign being, and they get to do whatever they want with you because they are the most, most ruthless, and they are the most fit to rule over you. So, I mean, it, it's I can't even put it into words how disgusting it actually is to me when I when I think of people thinking like this, right? Well, yeah, not only that, but the people who actually uh believe that these people have that right, you know, the support of it is is just insane to me. And um, you know, something I wanted to ask you is you know, how does social Darwinism play into natural law? Well, um, I think it's antithetical to natural law. I don't think it has any place 
within that. So it's it's in direct opposition to natural law because it enshrines the ideas of moral relativity. Social Darwinism bolsters to the idea that man can just arbitrarily make up what right and wrong are. And that's, you know, the fundamental foundational idea underneath eugenics and and social darwinism you know so to me it is it is a transgression against other people's liberties when it comes to natural law yeah i agree um it's it's a very disgusting religion and it seems it seems like <laughs> the same people, I, I, it just this is what blows my mind, and we're gonna kind of get into this. It's just, I mean, whenever whenever I'm bringing up in, any kind of information that has anything to do with uh, being controversial or something that I know to be moral, but a lot of other people don't agree with, is like this. You know, the people, the same people who believe in or who live the the belief of social Darwinism are the same people who tend to be solipsistic and believe in, you know, scientists. So they're very scientismic, you know. So it's very interesting how it's like the same mindset. Uh, and, you know, obviously, you know, my opinion is that it's it's all rooted in ignorance because if they actually did some real studies and some real science they would soon figure out that those ideologies are very destructive they're never going to bring any real world peace and uh never any individual peace especially and um it's a very uh, as you said a very dangerous religion it definitely is. And I mean, social Darwinism was, uh, I, I believe it was founded or at least, you know, presented into society by Sir Francis Galton, who was the first cousin of Charles Darwin. And I believe this was around 1907 that he started to call this process or, or the people that were studying his work. I can't remember if it was him or the people who were studying his work started to call this process eugenics. And this is where we get eugenics. And I mean, you know, you hear about this idea that that there are those who are worthy to rule over others and then there are those who must obey others. So it's it's simply master-slave-think dynamic, you know? It's just taking it into a biological, inverted scientific methodology where, like, you're, you're taking science and you're using it in a perverted way against your own kind to, to become God over those people. Because really what it is, it's, it's the belief that you have the right to choose who gets to live and who gets to die in society and that you get to play around with these people like they're guinea pigs i don't even like using animals in in this but that's how we use animals unfortunately but you know that you get to play with lives in this world like they're just test subjects like they're meaningless and you get to decide what genes get populated into the society and which genes do not get populated and i mean this evolved into epidisgenics which which, you know, epi means beyond, and then dis meaning to, to take away or, you know, an inversion of something and genes. So it's the uh, breeding downward is what it is. So eugenics is the idea of breeding upward, breeding good stock, because it comes from eugenase. Um, so what that means is good. And in genetics, you know, g- genus, which means uh, genes. And then uh, so that's breeding good genes, right? So, But they want that for themselves. They want to mm-hmm. breed their genes upward into society and then they want to breed down the other genes uh, especially of the slaves to a degree that they are easily controlled in society they don't want to breed them so far down that they lose their abilities to produce labor in the society as slaves but they want to keep them dumbed down to such a degree that they are easily controlled but yet are just efficient enough to keep the system going so that's dysgenics and moral eugenics Absolutely. Immoral eugenics, you know. So, I mean, in a way, we should be uh, eugenicists at the collective level in the most positive sense that we want to be breeding in good genes 
uh, or expressing good genes uh, throughout the collective. But we cannot do that through the means of violence or through the means of government or through covert means or anything like that. It has to be done on a moral standard. It has to be done through voluntary uh, association. You know, like if I go out and I want to uh, breed with somebody, it should be voluntarily and consenting on both parties. You know, that, you know, like I see good genes and good expressions coming from this individual. So I feel that those would be good in society. And I feel that it would breed a healthier thing into society by having a child with this individual. And she feels the same. So we both are in concordance and we are in uh, agreement with these ideologies uh, in this premise. And then we go out and we, you know, create a beautiful life form to come into this life and experience it and and all its wonders, right? Um, So we do want to have good things like that. We want to breed healthier, stronger, more intelligent humans into the world. But the way that eugenics actually is, the way that it that it's been done through history is that it's done through violence. It's done through coercion and it's done through covert means onto the population. And and we see this all over the place with things. And I don't like to get into this stuff too much, but things like Planned Parenthood is a good example of this. You know, Planned Parenthood was started by uh, a eugenicist and uh, there's no coincidence there that a eugenicist was the fun, the, the main founder of Planned Parenthood, you know? Yeah, it is a very disgusting system that or institution for sure that uh, is completely um, has got the minds of most people as like, you know, this great thing. And, you know, you know, obviously there's some good things that come out of it. There has to be. But it's like people just... You know, they don't even want to do any kind of research to see where it really comes from and what it's really all about. But moving on, I wanted to uh, we're going to go into the human brain because the human brain is what really needs to be understood. If we're going to understand why we fall into these religions and why we tend to allow this type of behavior in the world. So looking at the human brain, we have a what's called a neocortex. And this is a this this is the part of the brain that has the two hemispheres. You have the left hemisphere that facilitates the logical and scientific thought, while the right brain hemisphere is what largely facilitates creativity and compassion. And both of these hemispheres, when they when they are in balance, the neocortex is what sets off a proper role as the executive command center of the human brain. And, and true intelligence, which is intellect and creativity, they come together. So you have the intellect of the left brain and the creativity, the, which comes from the generative, the gents. That's, that's where, it's, where it's born. That's where it comes from true intelligence. So looking at the structure of the brain, you know, when it comes to the behavior, the brain health plays a critical role in human behavior. So it, it it's extremely important for human beings to become familiar with the brain's basic structure and function. This is really important because if you don't understand this, then you can't really understand the world you live in. You can't understand why our behaviors are running all over the place and we're in such imbalances. And, you know, the three main complexes of the human brain are the the R complex, which is the reptilian brain, and that's the lower part of the brain, the part that, you know, sits on the neck. And this basically facilitates the, the you know, b- basic survival functions. And, and it's all about, you know, the survival mode of you know the fight or flight and um, basically what makes you get out of the way if if a tree limb falls on your head or is falling towards your head you're going to get out of the way Um, that's the survival part of the r complex and then you have the limbic system the mammalian brain which is about facilitating the human emotion and this is this is really really the the part of the brain that is connected to the heart and it is what helps us 
have true emotion uh, of empathy and care. And then we have the neocortex, the neo meaning new. And, the, and then it's, it, this is about the human brain, which facilitates the higher thought functions and conscience. And that is being able to reason and, you know, understanding the difference between right and wrong. You have the ability to understand the difference between right and wrong, and you have the ability to choose uh, right action over wrong action. Um, we're, so we're going to get into that. But so when you when you think of the right and left hemisphere of the brain, you think of the masculine being the left side, and uh, you know just just so we understand the what's symbolic about it is. You have a symbol of the blade, which is, you know, the right side up triangle, and that represents the sacred masculine energy. And then you have the um, feminine ancient symbol, which is the chalice, and that's associated with the right brain. That is the sacred feminine symbol, and that's the uh, downward pointing or inverted triangle. And it's really important that we look at and understand at least, you know, some of the basic brain functions to further understand human behaviors and consciousness. And if by, you know, whatever means a person's, you know, neocortex, the top part of the brain, may have become, you know, if, it, if it's become significantly imbalanced towards one brain hemisphere or the other, the neocortex, as a whole complex will cease to function as the executive control center of the brain. And this means that if uh, it, it will stop regulating the process that takes place in both the R complex and the limbic system. So the, you know, the lower part of the brain and then the mid part of the brain. And reaching this state of brain dysfunction, the executive control functions of the brain will then be downgraded and turned over to either the R complex or the limbic system, depending on, you know, depending on the nature of the original imbalance. And we're going to get into the imbalances um, here in a second. But if the nature of the brain imbalance favors the left brain hemisphere, the neocortex gives up its regulatory functions. The, the limbic system ceases to provide emotional balance between thought and action, and the R-complex begins to you know, dominate the whole brain system. And this type of imbalance then results in a being who operates out of reptilian consciousness and desires to dominate and control everyone around them and you know, living in fear. It's a basic you know, suffering from this type of brain dysfunction that would display behavioral traits such as domination, obsession, greed, hoarding, uh, continual desire to control, compulsive tendencies, total lack of concern for others, aggression, cruelty, and needless forms of violence or violence, period. It is easy to recognize this type of brain behavior in our modern social climate because for this type of ego dominator imbalances is, is nearly everywhere in our society and the second type of brain imbalance toward the right brain hemisphere results in executive control of the brain being you know um stunted to the limbic system uh this this results in a state of victim consciousness in which the person can no longer control what is taking place within themselves and essentially becomes ruled by out-of-control emotions. And you definitely see that uh, running rampant uh, right now with uh, you know, what's going on with this pandemic. The R-complex ceases to provide functions related to basic survival instincts and a different set of undesirable traits manifests themselves. And these, the, these states include nervousness, paranoia, lack of self-worth, submission, guilt, fear, depression, and even suicidal tendencies. So we see that these types of personality traits are also overly 
like I said, overly abundant in our society. I completely agree with you when it comes to needing to understand the basic functionalities of the brain. This is something that we covered earlier on in uh, the Cubbyhole podcast. Uh, the brain health plays a critical role in the way that we behave. And to understand uh, the functionalities, the components, the, the uh, properties of our brain is crucial for us to come into understanding of like how we align our two energies, the sacred masculine and the sacred feminine with each other. The more we can understand our biology in that le- at that level and in these ways, uh, the more likely we can fight against any kind of outside influence that is creating an internal imbalance within us. So it is literally about taking control back from the dominators of this world who have been who have been hard at work to cause brain damage in our culture so that we're not in the neocortex so we do not understand right and wrong behavior objectively so that we can regain our sovereignty of our bodies and our emotions and our mind so when people fall into that left brain a chronic ideology, right? Like we were talking about earlier with with uh, scientism and things like that, the left brain prison. People tend to become, like you talked about, more violent, more dominant. Uh, we can associate this to the abuser. And like you were speaking of, the right brain gets associated with the victim complex and the victimization of yourself usually or by another. It can go both ways. We can victimize ourselves, obviously. But... You know, if a, if a human being's left brain hemisphere becomes chronically dominant and we're constantly working in that area of our brain, the ARV complex of the brain, the reptilian stem, the uh, cerebellum will take over executive function of the brain. And this means that emotions will become dormant. They will become uh, subtle and they will become very suppressed is a better word than subtle, actually. They will become very suppressed and the individual will become ruled by selfishness and base desires and develop a personality based in control over other people. And I have dealt with a lot of people with brain damage, uh, with TBI, traumatic brain injuries. And uh, my father being one of them, uh, he had a, a traumatic brain injury that uh, caused him immense, immense behavioral disorders as he was healing. and. It's a prime example. Like I have firsthand experience dealing with people that have uh, have you know brain damage, and to see how this plays out with people when you know that they have brain damage. For a person who has been around an individual that's come back from war uh, that has shell shock, which they usually don't call that anymore because of PC, um, but yeah, shell shock um, or PTSD and things like that, you will see these types of behaviors come out and they manifest in in into the physical world and you'll see people become very abusive uh they'll like to attach to abuse victim cycles they become very narcissistic um they become very self-driven uh you know they also become very materialistic they they have to hoard and and make sure to uh, get as many materials as possible because they equate their own self-value to the accumulation of the value of the materials that they have so if they have more things then they must have more value as an individual and the chronic right brain does the exact opposite where you become you know slave think so you have master think which is the chronic left brain and you got slave think which is the chronic right brain so if you know an individual or human beings right brain hemisphere becomes chronically dominant then the the emotional complex will take over the limbic system will take over executive function and defense and survival instincts will become suppressed so you won't defend yourself you'll you'll just play the victim role you'll um, also identify with the abuser like a stockholm syndrome scenario and uh, and they will be ruled by their emotions and develop a personality based on submissiveness and naivete. So they'll be gullible and they'll be very naive. They'll believe anything. They'll take anything. They become a punching bag for the abusers in this scenario. 
And this is the kind of uh, relationship that we're seeing play out in our society. We have an abuse victim culture, pretty much, where the abusers who are the authority figures and all the other people who condone those authority figures, those are the people who are condoning abuse, which is abuse also. People who condone theft is uh is abusive you know people who say that is okay for you to go out and do that that is okay for authority figures to go do that it's no different than your friend who watches somebody else's partner beat on their girlfriend and he's saying hey that is okay for him to do that you know that's abusive that's not a healthy uh way to think and it causes harm onto other people and it allows harm to continue to run amok within society because what it does is it makes you not have to do anything and you abdicate your personal responsibility to need to take self-defensive actions and maybe actually protect somebody else in that scenario but this is that relationship we have. You can't have a master without a slave, you know. They're directly connected to each other. And we have to understand how that dynamic plays out within the biology of ourselves. And when we do understand that, then we can start to mend those issues within ourselves. So, right. you know, the, the last, the mending of that is what I would call the middle path. So what that would be is like free think, right? So it's about finding the path of midness where you get out of the abuse victim cycle, where you get out of the, uh, well, what we're going to go into next, the next topic, polarization uh, dialectics, which is, you know, you polarize your two hemispheres, you polarize your, your masculine energy and your feminine energy within yourself. And as long as those two things are in opposition with each other, as long as they are in conflict with each other, your thoughts and emotions, your um, your intellect and your intuition, as long as they're fighting with each other, then you're in internal dualism, which means that you are much easier to control by outside sources, specifically people, psychopathic uh, manipulators who want to control you. They know how that works. They're, they're top of the line when it comes to psychology. They understand how these dynamics play out in our in our minds and how they play out in culture and they will use that against us so when both hemispheres are finally in balance when we find that that centropic force that centropy the place of true peace between the masculine and the feminine the alchemical wedding the alchemical union of these two principles um, where you take the upward facing triangle and the inverted triangle, the blade and the chalice, and they come together to create that beautiful star. This is where we actually have true intelligence. You know, this is where the highest level of our learning and our, and our productivity is uh, the most optimal. You know, this is where we become the most optimal. And it, and it is also where, we can create a better reality from. That's the only place we can create a better reality from, actually, is by getting into true intelligence. Because a lot of people associate intelligence just with intellect, you know? Mm -hmm. And intelligence is not intellect. It is intellect combined with the generative capacity. It is intellect combined with creativity. And it's intellect combined with um, uh, intuition, also. Uh, right. But that's actually what the word means, you know, intelligence, intella, which is intellect, and engence is the generative, the, the creative, you know, the generation. And that's where that is born, is right in the center point between those two energies. And, uh, and you're bridging and you're creating one of the strongest structures. So that's where we want to be. We want to be in free think because we want to build freedom, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, that's that's very well said, and I really uh, like that you brought up the polarization dialectics, you know, and uh, it is, it's what puts people in these uh, trappings on, you know, whether it be the left brain dominance or the right brain dominance or both, you know, you can be completely in, on one side of the spectrum and on the other side of the spectrum, but, you know, as long as you're not, like Brandon said, as long as you're not, uh, you know, having that that union between the the blade and the chalice between the right brain and the left brain you are never going to experience that true intelligence where the intellect and the generative principle or the the creative principle comes together to 
give us that beautiful union where we're, you know, right in the, the, the balance in the middle. And that's a very beautiful place that we're trying to help people get to and obviously ourselves too you know it's a it's a constant thing it's we're always trying to maintain some sort of balance and I think a lot of people have that naturally they're always looking for some kind of balance in themselves but they haven't really done the homework to really understand what that means and uh, I think that this show is you know really all about that it really is all about balance and um, I want to get into why we're not in a balance because it's about uh, understanding that there is control uh, structures in this world that want us in one side or the other and we don't even know that we're in these trappings so we're going to get into the polarization dialectics aka mental schisms so if you could just you know picture the the brain looking at the top brain and you see two hemispheres Looking at the left brain, this is the masculine master think, you know, dominance through being over intellectual, aggressive, assertive, heavily dismissive and authoritative. This is associated with the color red because red is the lowest frequency and the color of aggression. So if you think about like, uh, you know, the, the reptilian brain being the red color and then you have the mammalian or limbic brain being the blue color. And then you have the neocortex being green. Well, there's a reason that they're those colors because they align with the colors of the visible spectrum of color. And, you know, that also aligns. It also has a lot to do with the Vedic chakra system. And, you know, color, uh, the, the red color is the color of aggression and survival mode while suppressing emotion and this is about, you know, causing us to be in the reptile mode, like I said, or, you know, in the R complex or, you know, where, where the ego is the most powerful and thinking of, uh, how the right brain hemisphere is, you know, looking at the right, uh, hemisphere. If you're looking down at both hemispheres, you see the right, and this is the feminine slave thing, which is, this is about the dominance this is about uh, slave think dominance, and this is about uh, suppressing the intuition. The submissive. This is about submissive behavior. It's about being passive or overly naive, and overall obedient. This is associated with the color blue because the blue is the frequency of receiving or submitting, which is when imbalanced and you know dominant. When it, when it becomes imbalanced and dominant, it then creates the survival instincts to be shut down, keeping us more centralized in our limbic brain, so more in our emotional side. And, you know, seeing that these aspects can really divide our minds, it's important to see the beliefs associated with these imbalances that really cause the separation. And thinking of the left brain, we see that this is the part of the brain that is chronically dominant, and it can lead to rigid skepticism. It also leads to what we were talking about earlier, scientism, atheism, solipsism, moral relativism, social Darwinism, eugenics, and of course, authoritarianism. So we've basically already covered all these on the show. So this, this show is really demonstrating a very left-brained type of schism or uh, dominance. And so if we you know, look at the right brain, when the right brain is chronically dominant, it will most likely lead to naivete. So being naive, being, you know, having blind belief, religious extremism. And also, this is another form of solipsism. Yes, the right brain is also another, it, when the right brain is uh, in an imbalance, it also can lead to solipsism. It also can lead to unworthiness, self-loathing, order following, or, you know, supporting it, and being a willing slave. So, all this falls under the umbrella of mind control. And it's, a, it's about keeping people divided within 
to keep them divided outwardly with each other. It's about keeping us in opposition with ourselves and something we're going to get into in a couple episodes is the dark occult. And, you know, the dark occult are the, you know, all knowing of our brain schisms and they are, you know, um, they know what strings to pull to get us to bend the knee to them and their agendas all because we don't know this type of deep knowledge about ourselves and it and it doesn't take a brain scientist to figure that out you don't have to have credentials to know yourself you know uh yeah they make us into marionette puppets right <laughs> right exactly 100 percent. yeah puppets on strings pawns um, on the chessboard that's right so yeah this is the mental schism and i'm glad that you brought up you know the fact that solipsism is on both sides of that and I really enjoyed um, that you were talking about unworthiness also, because I see that a lot in the uh, the cultures, if you want to call them that, the cultures uh, in our society that have to do more with the right brain. And our main goal here is to, you know, get out of this, get out of this polarization between these two hemispheres. And the one way that we can really do that is by studying this knowledge, studying ourselves, studying the occult, um, understanding what the true self versus the false self is, which I'm sure that we will talk about more in the future. Um, but, you know, the, the left brain takes us in the material, material thing also. That's something else that we need to understand. And the right brain takes us more into uh, a little bit of spiritual think, you know, uh, emotional think. Um, so we have to understand that our work is to be done here on the ground, you know, head of the cosmos, but feet firmly on the ground. And to do that, we have to have a balance between matter and spirit. We have to understand that this is the spiritual plane that we're existing in and that we need to take this seriously and treat it sacredly. Uh, that matter and spirit are not uh, separate from each other, that they are directly connected and related to each other. Exactly. And very well said. I want to let everyone know that this show will be continued on Podcast 12, the next show, and we will be getting into the self-defense and non-aggression principles. So definitely stay tuned for that. And that is all the time we have today, guys. So thank you for your time and attention. And you can find more of our work at cubbyhole.com. That's C-U-B-B-Y-W-H-O-L-E.com. There you will find news updates, videos, and more. We hope you have found value here today. And like I said, please tune in to the next show. And we will go further into natural law. And also make sure that you tune in to show 13 and 14 where we'll be getting into the natural law principles, the hermetic principles. And that will be a very fantastic, important show. So thanks again and have a wonderful day. 